pastors, but one mic pack keeps us humble, you know. <clears throat> How we doing? Like Aaron said, I'm the youth pastor. I need some more energy in here. So who's, who's ready for Christmas? Merry Christmas. Yes. What are your favorite things about Christmas? Shout them out. Jesus. Yes, thank you. Stole my, stole my line. Lefsa. What else? Huh? Family. Cookies. How about this? Make some noise for those Christmas Hallmark movies. That was all right. For those of you that didn't, didn't yell, you bunch of liars. We all know it. Mom has them on in the background, and you find yourself for that last 20 minutes hooked, sitting on that couch, waiting for that happily ever after moment, no matter how corny and cheesy they are. There's four components of every good, sorry, every Hallmark movie. The first is the meetup, right? It's the meetup. You know, it's, it's, she's, she's in this new city, and she's putting her tree up on her on her car, and right as she falls, he's there to catch her, right? And then they meet, and the eyes lock, and you're like, oh, this game on. Hallmark movie. And then over the course of the movie, you see love. You see over-the-top, senseless, gushy, sometimes extreme love. And then you see, through unlikely circumstances, what might, some might call fate, right? The climax of the movie, right? Like she's on her way home at the airport, and he finds himself there because like three months ago he like forgot his shoe and they found it and he has his shoe and then they meet and then happily ever after, which is the fourth component, right? It's the ah, uh, it's the ah uh, moment. I love In Good Fun making fun of my mom for these Hallmark movies, but I think we all love these stories. And I think this storyline actually resonates with us. And I think it resonates with us because it's God's storyline. It's God's story. This is our God's script that we continue to use in the movie business over and over again. We're in this series, The Genealogy of Jesus, where we're looking at different people listed in Jesus's genealogy, how we got to this moment here during this Christmas season, and we're looking at the different things that we get in Jesus uh, through the lives and stories of these people we're looking at over the course of this story. And so today we are going to look at the story of Ruth. And so if you have your Bibles, we're actually going to read a large amount of this, this story. I want to I take us through this story and highlight some key themes, some passages, and then have some application for us at the end. And so since we're going to be in uh, an extended uh, piece of scripture, can we bring the house lights up just a tad for those reading just a little bit? Um, this story was written hundreds of years, I want you to keep this in mind, hundreds of years before the story of Jesus, okay, before Jesus enters the picture. And so we're going to pick up right at the beginning, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Remember that, okay, that there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem, right, Christmas connection right there, in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malhon and Kilion. 
They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malhon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Sad, right? I mean, honestly, it's tragic. Can you imagine losing your husband and your two sons? A quick summary of the Moabite people or the nation of Moab and Israel. Historically, up until this point, they did not coexist. They did not mingle. But we find in this story there is a season of peace, but the Moabite people have been a thorn in the side of the nation of Israel. And so typically, Israelites did not look at uh, Moabite people with favor. Okay, but we do find that in this story, and that's going to matter a little bit later. In verse 6, we pick up. It says, When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughter, daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. So there's a famine in Moab, but Naomi has heard back in Judah, in Bethlehem, God is providing for his people, and because there is nothing left for them there, they are going to return to Bethlehem. And so as we continue to read, you'll see that Naomi urges her two daughter-in-laws to stay in Moab. She says she understands that they, have, they will, if they separate from her, have a better life here because their family is here, right? They have a better opportunity to start what would be a new life in this area instead of going back home to Judah, uh, uh, to Bethlehem with her. And so she insists that they stay in Moab. They, try to, they cry together, and Orpah stays. But we continue to read, and Ruth stays faithful to Naomi. Ruth stays faithful to Naomi, their family now. And despite knowing that she has a better opportunity if she stays in Moab, she decides to cling to Naomi, to stay with her. And so they return to Bethlehem. And so we pick up in chapter 2, and in the opening verse, the author, who we don't know wrote this book, but the author gives us a little inside scoop on who's about to enter this story. The author then gives us an inside scoop on this important character, Q, the hunk of the Hallmark movie, all right, in chapter 2, verse 1. It says, now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. This term, a man of standing, refers to his character, likely his wealth, but certainly his position and strength within the community of Bethlehem. Boaz is a good dude. He's that, he's that hallmark hunk that we all love to see enter that story, right? And later in this chapter, we read that Boaz, because he is, he is a relative of Elimelech, he is what is considered as a guardian redeemer of Naomi and Ruth. A guardian redeemer was someone who was next of kin, who had the opportunity to take the less fortunate, to take those who had fallen upon serious difficulty under his family wing, and to actually marry uh, the wife of his then deceased relative. And so we read in verse 2. 
And Ruth, the Moabite woman, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. So she's going to go out into the fields, okay? And this is something that God instilled into the nation of Israel, how they were to operate. You know, like when you see a combine, like, uh, uh, harvesting, and they miss those rows at the, on the sides of a field or in the corners of a field, that corn or that wheat or grain, whatever it was, was available to anyone else, someone who had fallen upon diffi- difficult times, the poor, the sojourners, the orphan, and the widow, to come and take and, and care for themselves. This was something that God instilled in his people so that the downtrodden could be cared for. And so this is what Ruth is going to go do for Naomi and herself. And so we pick up in verse uh, 3. Sorry. Verse 6. And when Naomi... Oh, hold on a second. Okay. Starting in verse 13. 15. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back, or no, I, I jumped way ahead. Wow, I just, I really, really did it here. Okay. <clears throat> yes, I do too. All right. Um, to, oh, here we go. Gosh. All right. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, right, typical Hallmark moment, that one in a million moment for these two to intersect happens. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, they answered. The Lord bless you. Boaz asked the overseers of his harvesters, who does this young woman belong to? He's checking her out. Straight up. The overseers replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She says, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get drink, get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. So first, yay, Boaz right? But what an incredible favor God has on Ruth. I mean, in just a few short chapters, she goes from a widow, right, without her husband, to a land where she has no home, no food, no, no strength of her own, because in this place, uh, uh, a, a, man, a man in your life meant everything for your social status and what you could and could not do. And now she finds herself in the presence of her guardian redeemer. And not only does he fi- she find herself in her field, he happens to show up at the end of work and, and notice her and take notice of her. And then she finds herself 
what we're going to read, eating with him, starting in verse 13. They have a conversation, and then picking up in verse 13, it says, May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. The mealtime Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in wine and vinegar, from homeless with no food to sitting at his table. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to them, let her gather among the sheaves and do not reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening and she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out what and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Now Naomi, her mother-in-law, asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative and one of our guardian redeemers. She goes from nothing to being in the one place that she needs to be. Time and time again, we see in Scripture God's nearness to the brokenhearted and his intense love over-the-top love for his people and those who are hurting. And so in, verse, or in chapter 3, we see that Ruth makes it known to Boaz that she would like to be redeemed by him, that she would like to become his wife. You see, Ruth understands that she needs a redeemer. She understands that this is something that she cannot do for herself, and she sees that Boaz is someone who can do something for her and Naomi that they cannot do. For themselves. And so we get to chapter 4, and there is one more hurdle that this story must jump to land at that hallmark happily ever after. There is someone who is closer of kin to Naomi than, uh, than Boaz. And so this man has the right first to be the guardian redeemer of Ruth and, Bo- and Naomi if he so chooses. But if he, if he does not take on that obligation and says, no, I will not. It is then up to Boaz to become the guardian redeemer. And so we pick up in ver- chapter 4, verse 3. He brings, uh, we see that Boaz brings this guardian redeemer and 10 elders into a circle in Bethlehem and has this conversation. It says, then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so that I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you. I am next in line. And then the man says, I will redeem it. And as the reader, you're like, Boaz, what are you doing? You're letting Ruth go. This perfect love story that all, it's all shaped up perfect. You're just going to let her go away? You're just going to give her to this other man? 
But then he adds in verse 5. Then Boaz said, Oh, by the way, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his prosperity. At this, the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, there's a couple reasons why this might have happened. One, she was a Moabite woman, and they did not mix. But the second is he says this would endanger his own estate. So sons that he already had, and if he would have had any sons with Ruth, he would have had to divide his estate amongst them. And so he says no. And Boaz must have known that this would be his response because this, because he adds this to the story. He adds this to uh, the opportunity to redeem. And so if you continue reading the story, Ruth marries Boaz. Yeah, happily ever after. The first ever uh, Hallmark story right here in Ruth chapter 4. But she marries Boaz. Ruth bears Boaz a son named Obed, who is the father of Jesse, who is the father of David. It says it in the end of chapter 4, that this is the lineage of Jesus. Happily ever after. Now, you might be thinking, Brody, that's a great story, but what does this have to do with Christmas? Well, God's hand is all over this story. All the things that needed to happen, happen. And when it comes to our spiritual lives, and you compare the story of Ruth and Boaz to us and Jesus, they're strikingly similar. Right? First, there is a problem. For Ruth, it's the, the death of her husband and all that that entails. And the problem for you and me is sin. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we are completely separated from our Heavenly Father. That's a problem. Second, we see in this story and in our story, over-the-top love. In the relation to Ruth, the moment Boaz meets her, he is lavishly uh, throwing love at Boaz and eventually marries this woman. For us, from the moment Adam and Eve have sinned, you see God's incredible love towards his people, and he continues to promise you, I am going to make a way for you back to me, because it is not on you to make it back to me. We have nothing to do with our own salvation. It is something that only God can do. And so number three, what we see in both of these stories, Ruth's story and in our story, is the sending of a redeemer through unlikely circumstances, right? For Ruth, it's all these things that must happen. And Boaz takes her as her, his wife. She is restored and the lineage of Jesus continues. And for us, think about how crazy it is that Jesus, the Son of God, God himself, came to earth that is an unlikely story. Like the most unlikely story ever. But Jesus comes on our behalf and is our redeemer. How cool is that? And so just think for a moment. If Jesus is our redeemer, that means that we must be, need to be redeemed. And if we must need to be redeemed, that must mean that there is no chance at salvation without Jesus. 
That's what redemption means. It's something that you and I cannot do on our own. There is no hope for you and I. There is no shot at heaven for us without Jesus. But Jesus came. He did come. What a gift. What a gift that we celebrate on Christmas. Amen? That is the gift of Christmas. I want to ask the band to come up. And I want to talk to three people, three types of people who might be sitting in this room right now hearing this story of Ruth and how it compares to our story between us and Jesus. First, is I want to speak to the brokenhearted. If you're going through this Christmas season, if you find yourself sitting in one of these seats right now and you identify with the Ruth of chapter 1, where she is just in the midst of the storm, she's lost her husband and as a result, everything else she has and finds herself in a new, in a new land with nothing to her name. Like if you find yourself in that storm, what I would invite you to do is to cling to the end of this story. To cling to chapter 3 and 4 of the story of Ruth because God was close to her and he's close to you. He sees what you're going through and he's working all things out for your good. Remember in this season that you find yourself in, despite it being the greatest, se- the greatest time of year, the, the season that you find yourself in, to be like Ruth, to be faithful, and he will restore you. The second person I want to speak to that might be sitting in this room or hearing this message is the unredeemed. You might be here today never having heard the good news of Jesus. Well, this story is your story. And what I mean by that is you need a redeemer and your redeemer came and that is why we celebrate what we celebrate on Christmas. Jesus, the son of God, came for you and for me. Listen, you, just like every other person in this room, needs a redeemer and Jesus came to redeem you. This over-the-top love story is your Love story. He is your redeemer. He is your way back to God, into your relationship with him. Friends, you can know today where you spend eternity. You don't ever have to question again where you might fall at the end of your life. You can know and have absolute peace because of the redeemer that was born on Christmas Day where you will spend the rest of your life. And it all hinges upon who you believe Jesus to be and what he came to do. And so if that good news is something you're hearing for the first time today, would you come talk to me? Would you come talk to Pastor Aaron after this message? Because let's put that to bed. Let's receive the peace that is offered during Christmas. The third person that I want to talk to today is the redeemed. It's those of us who have surrendered our life to Jesus, who have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, who understand that Jesus is our Redeemer, and we understand there is no way back without him. First off, what an amazing message. Amen? Like, this is it. This and Easter is it. This is, this is the gift of the season. Our entire faith structure is founded upon who Jesus is and what he came to do for you and for me. But, even having accepted Jesus as our Savior, because of this place, this time and place in which we live, the world Mecca of Delano, right? The greatest place on earth. 
A lot of us find, our places, uh, find ourselves in places where we are stable. We are financially stable. We have our needs cared for. We have homes and families, and we experience happiness and joy, and all of our earthly needs are met. And sometimes the hustle and bustle of life can get so crazy, and even more so in this season of Christmas, that sometimes we can almost forget our need for him. Like, do we, have, do we hear this story a thousand times, and do we know this truth in our mind, that we need Jesus as a redeemer, but do we actually let it sink down into our hearts and let our hearts and souls know that we need a redeemer? Like, when was the last time that you pondered the thought and reminded your heart, not just your mind, but your heart, that you need Jesus? Think about it. But when you do that, when you allow that truth that Jesus is our Redeemer and He has redeemed you, He has done that, when you let that sink into your heart, let that truth fill your heart with love and joy for this season because it is the greatest time of the year but is for something completely different than what's under that tree and all the parties. It is because Jesus came for you and for me to redeem you and me. Amen? That is our story Jesus is our redeemer. Don't let it stop at, that, at head knowledge, but let it sink down to heart knowledge. Let your heart and let your soul know that to be true. And that is when you and I experience true joy, true peace, true happiness in this season and all throughout our days as we live this life. Let me pray. God, you are our redeemer that means without you, there is no hope. There was no hope and there is no hope. But you are a redeemer. And for anyone who chooses to take you as their redeemer, you will redeem. That is scriptural truth. And so, God, I pray that you would resonate in all of our hearts today, however we need you, whether it's to be redeemed for the very first time, that we would move and make that choice to be redeemed by you. Or if we have been redeemed, Father, that we would remind ourselves, not at just the head level, but at the heart level of our need for you, and that we have you, and let that stir joy in our hearts, Father God. Thank you for the greatest gift that has ever been given, and thank you for the story of Ruth to show how you love us. We are Ruth. And you are Boaz, redeeming all who call on your name. So may this time as we worship just be reflection upon this truth. And may we bring glory to your name and how we worship you, God, because without you, we have nothing. We love you, God. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, our Redeemer. Amen.